have a uh, batting cage to pull out on stage or a ball uniform to wear. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, actually there's really three reasons. One is uh, it's only special if you do it every now and then. Uh, and, and then number two, I really couldn't figure out how to rig the curveball thing so that I could be sure I was going to hit it. Uh, <laughs> and then number three, concerning the ball uniform, I was informed by several people that I may never wear those pants in public again. And that's just that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. I, I thought it looked pretty good. Uh, but <laughs> Okay. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but, but I do have my clicker, yeah, which is, which is pretty good, and I'm glad y'all are as happy about it as I am. Uh, would you stand with me? We're going to read some from John chapter 11 today. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. And yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. And I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would empower each one of us to have ears to hear, to understand what you want to say to us for our lives, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Life is full of fastballs. We talked about that last week. All of us face fastballs all the time. Uh, Every day they come at us. However, fairly often, occasionally we get thrown a curve. We, We come into a situation where the road's not straight anymore when you get right down to it hitting the curve being able to hit the curve uh, for those of you who aren't too familiar with baseball I'll try to 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 not talk over your heads and just kind of bring it you bring it up to speed but for a position player in baseball and that is 
any position other than pitcher. If you play anything other than pitcher, you're a position player. For a position player in baseball, the ability to hit the curve is very often the difference between being a major leaguer and a lifelong minor leaguer. That's, that's what it is. I mean, there's some guys who are great, but throw that bender at them and they're done. And then they're, they're never going to play in the show. And it's really, I think that analogy could carry over to many places in life, many areas of our life. Uh, business, for example. If you're smart enough to, to be a business person at all and you get into business, you can handle the fastball. You can handle knowing this much is coming in, that much is going out, this is what the this is what happens during this season, and that's what happens during that season, and, and this person's working for me, and, and it's not going to snow on Monday. I mean, when, you, when, when it just comes at you straight, you can handle it. Now, the, the people who really thrive and succeed in business, though, and go beyond are the ones who, when the curve comes, they can hit it. They can go with it. You know, when, when the economy changes, when people's taste change, when uh, technology changes, when things, when things come that aren't, that aren't. <laughs> See, if I point those things out, then you'll know I'm smart enough to know that I said that. When things come that aren't the same old, same old, and you can deal with them, you can succeed in business. You, you can go some places. Same holds true for being a parent. Parenting is very easy as long as your kids cooperate. It's a piece of cake. As long as they have learned how to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and no, ma'am, and they say the first one more frequently than they say the second one. Yeah. As long as they don't have much mischief in them, as long as, uh, you know, but when the curve comes, when, when that uh, child who's been making A's and B's brings home a report card and all of a sudden it's, you failed everything, you know, or, or you've got all these D's and F's on there, uh, that's what separates the parents from the parents, really. Or, or when, when you discover, when, when you get up to go to the restroom one night, restroom you call that that at home your bathroom you get up to go to the bathroom one night and and you discover that uh uh there's a window open and not everyone who's supposed to be in the house is in the house that's when parenting gets interesting that's that's when it becomes challenging those are the curveballs that come at you and spiritually Spiritually, it's very much the same thing. As long as, uh, you know, as long as I pray for it and it happens. As, as long as I tithe and I keep getting more money. You know, as, as, long as, as long as I'm walking in health. As long as everybody at the church likes me. You know, it's easy. It, it, you know, you can, you can be a Christian then. Now, I'm not saying that if you can't be a Christian when it gets tough, that you're not going to heaven. I'm just saying you're not going to play in the major leagues, spiritually. You know, but what about when you pray for it and it didn't happen? Or, or, or what, you know, what about when you, you've been tithing and 
you just don't know where it's going to come from this month. Now, the interesting thing is, you know, God will come through and, and, you, and, and that's pretty exciting too, but there's only so much excitement a person can take, you know? Or about, what about when everybody in church doesn't necessarily like you, or at least they don't show it as much as they used to? What about when you walk down the hall and one of the staff pastors of the church walks right by you and does not say hello? Can you survive then? That should be funny. But I've known some who couldn't. Quite frankly. And, 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 you know, we're just people. We're just people. There, you know, there are... <laughs> I'm sorry, but I know that there are times when you're not thinking about me. There may be a moment when I'm not specifically thinking about you. I, it just... That's life. That's, that's the way that is. In this passage, we see Jesus being thrown a curve. And the disciples being thrown a curve as well. Uh, in the previous chapter, in chapter 10, the back of it, Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Feast of Dedication. Now, uh, the Feast of Dedication is not one of those that Moses commanded. The Feast of Dedication is what today we would call Hanukkah. Uh, and it really was only about 150 years old at this time. Uh, really, it was, it was older than that, but, but not a whole lot older. Um, in the second century before Christ, the Jews were under the, the rule and the control of, uh, of the Syrians, Damascus. And there was a guy there named Antiochus Epiphanes who who tried to invade Egypt and it didn't work out. And so he decided he was going to take it out on the Jews. And he uh, came into Jerusalem. He uh, went into the temple. He desecrated the temple, sacrificed a pig on the altar, uh, took the holy things and defiled them, even, even put a, an idol up in, up in the temple. And some guys, a family, actually, the, the, uh, the Maccabeans, a lot of you have heard of them, the Maccabees, they rose up in revolt, and ultimately the revolt was successful, and they, they drove Antiochus and the Syrians out. And then they went to, uh, they wanted to restore the worship of Jehovah in the temple, but the temple was defiled. And so they, they spent eight days cleansing the temple, and thus the Feast of Dedication. They spent eight days dedicating the temple at the time. And it's also, Hanukkah is also known as the, uh, the Festival of Lights. And the reason for that is the, uh, the lamp in the temple was supposed to never go out. And they only had, when they began the, the dedication of the temple, they only had enough oil, uh, consecrated oil, to make it burn for one day. And it was going to take them a whole week to be able to consecrate some more oil so they could use it. And a miracle took place. And God caused the lamp to burn for eight days. And that's, that's why the Jews celebrate the festival of lights. And you often see the, the, the eight candle menorah that they light, light one each day. That, that's the feast that, that Jesus was celebrating. That's why he was in Jerusalem. And it was on this occasion that the Jews came to Jesus and they said, tell us plainly, 
if you are the Christ. Tell us. We want to know. Enough of this stuff. You've been ministering for three years. Are you the Christ? Tell us. And Jesus said, I did tell you, but you did not believe me because you are not my sheep. And that pleased them all so very much uh, to to hear that. (laughs) Um, Jesus didn't argue with them, and and Jesus didn't tell them because they weren't his sheep. They weren't going to hear. Think about the arguments that you have gotten in in your life, especially arguments involving religion or politics or even sports. Think about those arguments, and think about how many of those arguments you have won. And by one, I mean convince the other person to think of things your way. I would suspect that the answer would be zero, pretty much across the room. Now, you may go, oh, I remember winning one once. Yeah, you might have won it. For, you didn't, how about a week later? You know, were they still with you? you know. uh, the truth of the matter is, our arguing doesn't really get anybody anywhere. The heart's got to be open. If the person's heart isn't open, it doesn't matter what you say to them. It really doesn't. And if their heart is open, then it's very easy to talk to them. And Jesus, what Jesus is saying here is, I'm not going to argue with you. If I tell you, yes, I am the Christ, you're going to say, no, you're not. And if I say, no, I'm not the Christ, they're going to go, aha. Why are you doing all this stuff? So I've told you, you're just not my sheep. You're not listening. And then he went on to say, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now think about this. I mean, you know, here's Jesus. They're going, are you the Christ? And he goes, I've already told you. Everyone who follows me, I give them eternal life. Okay, eternal life. Are you the Christ? Now who else? would be saying, whoever believes in me and follows me, I give eternal life to. They never perish. But they're not listening because they're not his sheep. They're not open to what he's saying. And when he says eternal life, he doesn't just mean live forever and ever and ever and ever. He means I give them the quality of life that God has. And then he really pleased them by saying, the Father and I are one. But are you the Christ? And the scripture says they picked up stones to stone him for his blasphemy. But he escaped their grasp because his time had not yet come. And since his time had not come, nothing could happen to him. And it's the same with us. Because Jesus was saying to the Jews there, he said... Those who belong to me are in my Father's hand, and my Father is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of his hand. So he he escaped their grasp, it says. And he went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. And so this is where they are. They're they're in Transjordan. They're on the other side of the Jordan. uh, and, And it's just wonderful. I mean, they're healing sick people, and they're hanging out, and they're eating food, and they're they're teaching and learning, and they're just you know, fat and lazy and happy and sassy on the other side of Transjordan. And then word comes about Lazarus. And this was one of the last things Jesus and his disciples expected to hear. The serious illness of a, of a dear one, of a loved one, is virtually always unexpected. 
I mean, we know that people get sick. We know that things happen. We know that people die. And yet when it happens to someone close, I mean, it, it, it just always, it, it's always, who saw that coming? You know, we, we, we don't expect that. And that's, and that's what's going on here with Jesus. And it, and it looks like, it looks like a setup. It looks like a trap for all the world. The kind of thing you see in the movies all the time. You know, drop the gun or I'll shoot the girl. You know, or the guy or whatever it may happen to be. The dog, you know. <laughs> we went to see uh, True Grit this, uh, this last week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're ready for it, it's there. And... Uh, well, I think my favorite character, and it was probably Lucky Ned, uh, Lucky Ned uh, Barry, was that his name? Pepper. Pepper. Yeah, yeah. Ned Pepper. Who's named that? Lucky Ned Pepper. You know, and he's got his, got his, got his foot on the girl's head, and he's saying, uh, Rooster, Rooster, you just get on your horse and you ride out of here, and I'll shoot this girl. You know I will, Rooster. And I, I liked that part, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it for you. Uh, Hey, if you can't enjoy yourself in church, just, you think you're going to like heaven? (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, that's what it looks like. It looks like it's a setup. In fact, it's more like, you know, the hero escapes the burning building only to discover, oh, Mary Lou is still in the building. You know, do I go back in and and get her or, or do I pray for her? And for all the world, it looks initially like Jesus is going to do the other. See, when you know how to hit the curve and the curve comes, you can just throw curveballs back at it. And uh, for two days, he doesn't, he doesn't do anything. He doesn't go there. And then Jesus decides to go back and the disciples start chiming in. Whoa, oh, but Rabbi, you know, a, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and you're going back there? Don't you remember what happened? And I love the exchange that Jesus and the disciples have about Lazarus being asleep. <laughs> I mean, really, you know, our friend Lazarus is asleep and I'm going back to wake him up. Now, do you, do you really think that they thought that he was saying, Lazarus is asleep and I need to go back over the river and travel a couple of days to his house? so that someone will be there to wake him up. Do you really think they thought he was saying that? No. But they were going, well, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. And then finally, Jesus had to go, he's dead. (laughs) You know, very often, it says he told them plainly, very often, God speaks to us, and we know what he's saying. We know what he's saying. And yet we have a tendency to, to go, oh, uh, uh. Why, why don't you speak plainly? He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So that you may believe. I mean, this, this is where Jesus, this is where Jesus 
takes the curveball and, and janks it over the green monster in left field. Right here. Now, I know there's some actions to follow this, but this is where it happens, and we'll get to that in a second. The curveball, for baseball people, one of the debates that has gone on for a long time is, is is the curveball real, or is it an illusion? And essentially, we know the answer now, and the answer is, yes, it is real, and yes, it is an illusion. It is both things. There's There's very real, there's very genuine physics behind the curveball because what 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 happens is is the spin that's put on the ball causes the air on one side to to flow over it faster than it does on on the other side and that it's it's the same principle that airplanes use to fly uh the 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 wings are shaped in such a way that the air on top of the wing is going faster than the air under the wing and so it, it creates less drag and the drag causes the lift on the airplane same thing with a curveball so once once the pitcher starts throwing the curve, the, once he puts that spin on it, it begins a different trajectory because of air pressure, basically. But it's also an illusion, and hopefully I'm going to be able to show you this. Did, did uh, David train you in it? Okay, good. Well, just give us a second here, and it's coming up. Okay, pull it over a little bit this way. Okay, can you see the... Uh, all right, here's what I want you to do. First of all, I want you to just look at that ball that's coming down. Just coming from the pitcher's mound down to the plate. The next time it starts to come down, I want you to glance over at the blue dot. <laughs> yeah. Now this time, look at the blue dot the whole time. And, and you'll see. Now, here's what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here's what's happening. As long as long as you've got that as long as you've got as long as you've got the ball that's coming down in your main field of focus, your foveal vision, you see it directly. But as soon as it as soon as you as soon as it slips into your peripheral vision, you see it go zooming off. Now here's the deal. Uh, if you hold your if you hold your your arm out in front of you, you hold your thumb up like that, and you look at your thumb, that's about the size of your foveal vision, and anything beyond that is, becomes peripheral. And so when that fastball comes in, and when the curveball comes in, you know at least the pitcher it's kind of small, but by the time it gets there, it slips. And somewhere along the line, it slips out of that field, and all of a sudden it goes, or it looks like it has gone. The truth of the matter is that from the get go, it was already on that predetermined path. It doesn't come in and then break. It breaks from the get-go. Now, that's important. And here's why it's... And Jesus knew that secret. Here's why it's important. Okay, give, give me back the other, other program. That's enough fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the reason... I, I was going to try and put that in, in my slideshow, but I, if anybody knows how to take... well. It's probably illegal anyway. Okay. Uh, how does the curve, how does this apply to the curveball in life comes at us? And really, I know we read this other passage of scripture, but there's really only one scripture today that I have for you. And, and it's a very familiar verse of scripture. And in fact, 
aside from John 3.16 or whatever verse brought you to salvation, this is probably the most important verse of Scripture for you to know in the entire Bible. And it's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. This means that in all things God is at work for our good. It doesn't mean that all things are pleasant. Doesn't mean that all things are fun. And, and I don't like things that are not pleasant or fun. I really don't. Preachers just won't have fun. <laughs> or something like that. But sometimes that's not what, that's not what comes at you. And this verse isn't, doesn't say that that's what's going to come at you. It doesn't mean that all things are easy to understand. There, there are going to be some things that, that come your way in life that by all means you're not going to understand. Just get over it. And if you want to, you can tell yourself, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask you. You're not. But, but just think that. <laughs> so not everything is something that, that you're going to be able to understand. It doesn't, it doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that some things won't look like a curveball when they come at you. But what, what it does mean is that when you're faced with those things that look like they've taken a sharp break somewhere along, the truth of the matter is God, from the moment that thing had its origin, wherever that origin was, God was tracking it. He was tracking it the whole way and he knows exactly what he's going to use it for and he knows exactly how he's going to use it to glorify him, to advance his kingdom and to turn you into a major leaguer. You know, and, and, and they, they come and we get, we, get, we get nervous. We see the curve come and all of a sudden we've got to do something about it. You know, we gotta, we've got to do something. And that's when you miss it. When I was in high school, when I was in high school, I, I, I played football. And uh, I was I was quarterback because quarterbacks don't uh, get hurt as much as other people and don't have to hit and stuff like that. And I didn't like that part, but but I didn't like throwing the ball. And uh, but sometimes people want to hit quarterbacks. And so when you, when you're back th- throwing the ball, you know sometimes you get a little. Uh. <laughs> Some people do. And I remember when, uh, I remember I was in practice one day and I, they had this big six foot five tight end and uh, he was all state, great football player. And I kept hitting him in the, in the shins with the ball. He's six foot five, hitting him in the shins. And then a little bitty guy would go out and I'd throw it way over his head. And I remember the coach turning to me and, and saying, uh, Meek, you ever gone rabbit hunting? And I said, yes, sir, I have, and I never, and I hadn't hit one yet. <laughs> yeah, and, and the coaches were kind of laughing, and I didn't quite get it. But now I understand, you know, that rabbit jumps up and takes off, and you know, and you got to be steady. You can't just go, oh, rabbit, oh. First service didn't get that. But that's what happens to us in life. We see the curve come and all of a sudden, we got, I got to do something. No, I don't have to do something. I just got to realize who's tracking that thing. I just got to realize that in everything, God is at work for my good. 
I just got to real. And like I said, Jesus understood this. And when that happens, you can start, you, you can start throwing curves right back. You know, I mean, Lazarus is sick and he's, and he's sitting here. He's not going anywhere. Why? It's not time. All right, now let's go. What? It's time. It's time for us to go. In truth, God has known the flight path from the instant it was set in motion, and he knows its destination, and he knows exactly what he's going to do with it. And you can trust that. You you don't have to fix it. I gave my life to Jesus back in the spring of 1975, and by the spring of 1976, I, I, was, I was deeply walking with the Lord and, you know, just getting plugged in and involved, getting a whole new set of friends, a whole new life, basically. There was just one thing missing. It is not good for man to be alone. And uh, that May, I, I just, actually earlier in the spring, I, I just started falling head over heels for this girl at uh, Ensemble theater company where I was working, and her name was Mary, and uh, she did not have the good sense to reciprocate. (laughs) You know, it's one of those situations where you kind of look back on it later on in life and go, what was I thinking? You know, huh? But, and I'm sure no girls ever thought that about me, but... uh, you know, reason, reason yeah, or if they did, y'all don't know them. Yeah. Reason and, and love keep little company uh, is what it comes down to. But I found myself one night, one, one week, we were going to go see a play that weekend. And uh, I was looking forward to it all week. I was thinking, okay, breakthrough. This is going to, this is going to be good. I mean, it, we're, this is really going to be great. And then about four o'clock on Friday afternoon, I discovered that she had forgotten. And made other plans. Now, you know what? I mean, I, I, I may have been born at night, and I was, but I'm not that stupid, you know. I, 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 can, I can see. I, I can understand some of Lazarus is dead, you know. I, mean, I, I, I knew what that meant. And I found myself that afternoon... Uh, you know, kind of going, what do I do? I, I, I probably should just, <laughs> I, I, I should probably just stay at home and blow my nose all night or something, you know, <laughs> but I didn't do that. I ended up going to the play anyway with an older couple. Uh, he was 40. I was 26, I'm just telling you, you know, older couple. And my mother. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of you know this story anyway, but, but some of you don't. And I'm just going to cut to the chase. At the end of the play, and I'm sitting there kind of going, this is a bad play. But at the end of the play, Margaret comes to the rescue. Because this vision of loveliness starts floating across the floor, and she's walking right at me. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I, like I say, a lot of you have already heard this story. If you don't know it, come at 4 o'clock today. I'll finish it for you if you want me to. But what basically happened was that in the space of two minutes, 
My whole life changed. Muchly for the better. It was a curve. Not all curves are bad. In fact, we just, it's us who look at the curves and go, oh, that's bad. Well, that's our perspective. You see, the one whose hand we cannot be snatched out of has tracked that thing from the get-go. And he knows exactly where it's going. He knew I didn't need a date that night. He had something planned. It's a whole lot better. You say, well, you know, what about when, when, it, when it really gets worse? I mean, you know, when things totally fall apart. Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there. Yeah, Lazarus died, but this is going to end up working out for your benefit. And not just for your benefit. And boy, those disciples needed it. I mean, they needed to see Jesus do something big because a week from then, they were going to be at the lowest point they could They couldn't even imagine how low the point was they were going to be at. So they needed it. And not only did it help them and encourage them, but 2,000 years later, it's still... Jesus. Hey, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, people. You know, Lazarus, come forth. That was a a big moment. You write songs and new plays about that and meditate on that a little bit. Yeah. Going back also sent Jesus to the cross. It also caused him to be tortured to death. Just a little thing like that. So what what happens when you're going along with the curve and then all of a sudden you find out the wheels are gone? All of a sudden you you, you find out the, the boat's breaking up. The plane is losing altitude. Well, that's a, that's a knuckleball. And fortunately, they don't come along real frequently. Curves come along pretty often. Knuckleballs come along just a few times in our life. There's a way to hit them as well. And that's what next week is going to be about. But this week, see, Jesus said to the disciples, there's only so much daylight. And if you work while it's day, if you work while you can see, then you can accomplish something. You can get something done. But if you try to work where you can't see, eh, that's when you're just not going to get anywhere. And so what the whole deal about the curveball is, is being able to see. Being able to go, okay, that thing may look like it just went, but I know better. I can see with the eyes of the Spirit. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to pray for people, come down at this, this time. And those who need prayer, those who, uh, you may be right in the middle of a wicked hook right now, a curveball coming through your life. And you see, it's not just a matter of sitting back and going, oh yeah, I see that, that's curve. Uh, the, we- the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God. To bring down our strongholds. And one of those weapons is prayer. It really is. It's not we jump on it and, and fix this ourselves. One of those weapons is prayer. And so if you, if you need prayer for something today, you come. You come. And these brothers and sisters are going to pray for you and God will do something. And if you're here and you don't know Christ, 
You go, this, wait a minute. <laughs> that wasn't a salvation sermon. Uh, you weren't going to be convinced by my sermon anyway. You know, if the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart and wooing you to Him and saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. We'll introduce you to Him. You, you can walk out of here with a whole new life today as well. We're going to worship for a few moments. And we're going to wait on you. And people are going to be praying for folks. come that's great worship because somebody else needs the presence and power of the holy spirit here and you can help them with that Like the eagle. 